0: Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. This episode is taken from our series exploring the book of Jonah, as we discover together a story that is all about the goodness of God, a story that leads us to Jesus, and a story that invites us to be transformed by the wonder of who he is. Thanks for joining us. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went to board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his his God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? What do you? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before."
1: Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Adrian. I'll be taking us through... Uh, From this point, looking at this amazing story of Jonah, and it's a particular welcome to everyone in the room. Particular welcome if you're new around us. Uh, Hopefully, we'll make ourselves known to you uh, if we've not really done that. Uh, But if you're not new around us, you're also deeply welcome. I know for different ones of us, each week brings a moment where someone who's been part of the journey for a while kind of feels like, I think it's safe enough to be back in the room. And if this is your first time around again, back in the room, incredibly welcome to be here. However, you're not forgotten online. It is good to have you online as I know in this moment as we continue to reach out both to those who can't be with us because they're shielding or shielding from us to protect us. um, You are very welcome as well as others who are joining us not only on our church online platform but today I think on YouTube and Facebook as we're wanting it to be as easy as possible to come and have a look in at who we are in order that people can come without the walls And then hopefully kind of see, maybe it's not that bad, and I could come and be inside the walls. And if that is you, you're so, so welcome, whether you're someone who knows Jesus or is looking to find out more about him. Um, Before we jump into this story of Jonah that uh, Kate just excellently read for us, I just want to remind us that as we're looking through this story of Jonah, we've said that as a church, as a family, we're going to give ourselves over that kind of six, seven-week period to Developing our practice of reading the Bible, of recognizing that within the Bible that we discover this miracle-working God, a God who's longing to reveal himself to you and to me, and that as we understand more of who he is... It then defines more of who we are. And therefore, we've said that as we seek to live centered on God, we want to live with a practice of daily reading the Bible. And we've therefore produced a little card to help us, which if you've not grabbed one, uh, please do. There's a link uh, through our website that shows this information if you're at home and want to download this. But it just basically describes something of the what, the when, and the how of how we read the Bible. And what we're going to discover week on, week out, day on, day out, that as we pick up the Bible, God wants to saturate our lives with the joy of getting to explore and know him, realizing that he is way better than we ever give him credit for. And so with that in mind, I do want us to turn into this story uh, today and explore this story, which is a stormy story. A stormy story involving Jonah. Jonah, who we heard of last week that Rich introduced us to, saying that through this book, there's like three key characters. There's God, there's Jonah, and there's the city of Nineveh. And here we find that Jonah, having heard God say, go to Nineveh, runs in the opposite direction and kind of buys a ticket, gets on a ship, and then heads to Tarshish. And as he's heading there, God then sends a storm onto this ship that causes all to fear apart from Jonah and yet within the storm Jonah is arrested to what he's doing and confesses to all around that he's actually trying to flee god and then realizes that through him is the key to rescuing everyone on the ship and so how that happens which we're going to, want to go to see is through him being thrown overboard and in him being thrown into the sea it brings peace to all those on board like that's an epic story, isn't it? That's like a crazy story. Like one of those ones where you're just like, what is going on there? And that's what we're going to explore. But what I want us to see and what we're going to explore and discover isn't so much about the sailors or Jonah, but what I want us to do is encounter God. That's what we're going to see through this story. We're going to encounter God's heart. We're going to encounter God's the God who's present. We're going to encounter the God who rescues. See, I don't know whether you've come this morning trying to figure out, well, who is this God? Well, I want us to start to see who this God is. Maybe with people who've said, no, I've centred my life on God. Well, I want us again to see how good God is as we discover his heart, his presence, and his rescuing. So let's start off then with God's heart. Now, if you had to start off with this story and say, well, what we discover surely about this God is that God is one who seems a bit angry, isn't he? Because it starts off with a proclamation of judgment over a city of Nineveh, and then it kind of moves from this proclamation of judgment over a city to then someone who's been asked by God to go and give that message, running away, and then God sending a storm after him. To look at that, you've got to think, well, surely this is an angry God. A God who judges and a God who sends storms. And yet what we're going to do is to zoom out. That's why we read the whole story week one. Because actually to understand these moments, we have to understand the heart of God. The heart of God that actually Jonah reveals to us in chapter 4. The heart of God that Jonah reveals in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says this about who God is. He says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Like Jonah knew who God was. It drove him bananas, as we're going to go on to see. But he knew who God was. God was one who was merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and filled with unfailing love. That word unfailing love is a Hebrew word. It's the origin. The Hebrew word is hesed. Hesed is a word that we'll probably get to look at over numbers of weeks uh, through this series. I'd encourage you in your daily devotions, like look into that word hesed, because it will do you good. Because hesed is about that unfailing love of God towards humanity. That means that he's always bent towards kindness and mercy. So when you see that that's God's heart, I think it gives you a different lens to look at the start of this story. Because suddenly you see that God's proclamation of judgment is out of a heart of unfailing love of mercy and kindness, because his proclamation of judgment is over a city that is oppressing, is causing many to suffer. And God isn't distant to that. God isn't uh, concerned about that. God is one who's very concerned He's one who looks and says, this isn't okay. You only have to read like the Psalms to see, like Psalms three onwards through, I'm on to Psalm 12 at the moment in my daily reading through, it's that through it. Through it's just this God who is concerned for justice. Justice for the oppressed and the suffering. And Therefore, God's heart is birthed in his proclamation of judgment over this city because he sees the suffering that they're causing and he cannot be silent. And yet, God's heart is also revealed in the judgment towards Nineveh. The fact that He's bringing a proclamation of judgment of saying, Come on, this is what's going to happen because I've seen the suffering and oppression that you've done gives them an opportunity, as we're going to go and see it, gives them an opportunity to respond to who God is and to change how they're living. And as we're going to go on to see, is that when they change, God is quick, what? To respond with mercy and kindness because of his unfailing love. But you see, God's heart of unfailing love is also revealed in his pursuit of Jonah. The storm isn't a moment of judgment. It's a moment of unfailing love, pursuing this one who said, I want nothing to do with this. I'm going in the opposite direction. And God pursues him. In actual fact, you could say the whole of the story of Jonah, in one sense, is God's pursuit in unfailing love of Jonah. In actual fact, you can see Jonah as a marker of a whole of humanity. And God's pursuit out of unfailing love for all. See, what we can discover along the way is that his pursuit of Jonah is actually going to cause others to get caught up in his unfailing love. We're going to find sailors at the end of the story who knew nothing of who God was to discover through Jonah who God is and to be drawn in to this God of mercy, of kindness, unfailing love. And cause them, who weren't part of God's people, to be drawn in to who God is. In order they devote themselves to him and worship him. Because God's desire is to draw all to himself. To draw all to know his love, his mercy and his kindness. But if you follow the breadcrumbs, and this is what I want us to do as we look at this story. Is there's breadcrumbs in it. There's breadcrumbs that we're going to say, oh. That description I've heard before, or that word I've seen before, or that name I've seen before. And when you see that, you sort of follow the breadcrumbs and say, where does that lead us? Let's just do one quickly. You see, I love the Bible. I love how it brings life to it. And you think, I thought this story is about that. And then you think, oh no, it's about this. It's about you and it's about me. Because what you find is Jonah doesn't flee to any old place. He flees to Joppa. You find it in Jonah 1.3. He went to the port of Joppa. I don't know how much you know your Bible, but if you were literally to look up and say, okay, Bible gateway, I'll go on that. It does the work for me. Type into the search engine, Joppa. There's going to be another moment that describes Joppa. Another moment where God speaks to a different individual, about a different individual. See, what you find is this story of Joppa in Jonah points to another story of Joppa after Jesus' resurrection that actually points to us. Really? Yeah, yeah, let me just tell you about that. So in Acts 10, you find one of Jesus' friends, Peter. Peter, who's described in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, as the son of Jonah. That's a bizarre description. But somehow he's described as that. Why? Well, we're going to go on to see. The son of Jonah finds himself in where? Joppa. And as he's there in Joppa, God speaks to him, visits him, and says, you're to go to a people group outside of yours. In actual fact, you're to go to every people group outside of the Jews in order that they can know my unfailing love revealed through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, in order that all can be caught up in this. And so Peter gets this message and gets told, you're to go firstly to this individual who's about to come and find you. And he's a centurion. Now, this is a moment where the Roman Empire is the empire of the day. It's the ones that are crushing everyone else, oppressing everyone else. Sound familiar? Sound a bit like the Assyrians? Sounds a bit like Nineveh with Jonah? And yet God, again, speaks and says, you're to go to them. Why? Because I want to catch everyone up in my loving, unfailing kindness and mercy. So Peter goes and goes to the centurion. The whole of his household believe in the wonder of who Jesus is. And that from there, it becomes the extension of all that Jesus has done for his life, death, and resurrection that causes you and I to get caught up in the wonder of who Jesus is because Jesus said that he'd come for all those to the very ends of the earth and he's still doing that. I thought we were looking at Jonah, weren't we? I don't know, this is a story that's divinely inspired that catches up the biggest story of who this miracle-working God is. Which is why we get in it because suddenly we realise, wow, wow, what Jonah is facing is what now has drawn us in, a God of unfailing love who's seeking to bring all to know this love. Which means that if you're here today, whether online or in the room, and you're someone saying, yeah, but I'm way beyond God's love, if you really knew what I'd done, and I'd see you, I'd say, oh, no, no, you're never beyond the love of God. You're never beyond his reach. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, those of us who've come to understand the wonder of this unfailing love, like to us, I say, let's make sure we never judge that someone else is beyond God's love. That's the story partly of Jonah. No one is beyond God's reach. That's only the first thing. So we've got God's heart. Second thing, God's present. The God who's present in Jonah 1.3 says this, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. I don't know if you've ever played hide and seek with children under five. I've got three kids and all of them were under five, under five at one point. And when you play hide and seek with them, it's relatively easy. Because what they'll do is they'll run off and hide near an object or by an object and then close their eyes, put their hands over their face and then imagine that you cannot see them. Because in their minds, they cannot see you. Therefore, you cannot see them. It is the easiest game ever. If you're a new parent here, and you're thinking, how can I kill time? What you kill time like this is you say, let's play hide and seek. And then you allow them to run. And then you say, I can't see you for as long as you want to. And they'll keep hiding. There you go, parenting 101. I think Jonah was a bit like this when it came to God we find that he hears God and he runs away and he tries to escape God. And it seems nuts, doesn't it? He's escaping God as though it's like putting his hands over his face and saying, God, you can't see me. You know, The narrative like, shows in this, these small ways of how Jonah is trying to distance himself further and further away from God. So you find this word down. As it kind of says, he goes down to Joppa. Then it's like he goes down to the boat. Then he's from the ship. He goes down into the ship. We're going to find a step further next week. He goes down into the sea. And it's like this staircase going down that's going to represent him trying to flee who God is. And yet the irony is he describes God to the other sailors on the boat as the God who created the earth, the land, and the sea. The God of heaven who created the sea and the land. Like, he knew that God saw all, was in all, revealed it all. And yet he's like, oh no, I'm escaping. I love how Rosemary Nixon puts it. She says, when Jonah flees from his presence, that's God's presence, God does not leave him. Such is God's love for and commitment to human beings. He neither deserts nor condemns them. Rather, in grace and mercy, he sustains them, even in their fear and defiance. God's response to their rejection of his call becomes a source of hope for all who have travelled this way. This God will not allow rebellion and evil to have the last word. That is good news. God is a God who's present. Like Psalm 139 reminds us of that. Like Jonah knew Psalm 139. This isn't something he didn't know. Like in Psalm 139, it says, Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heights, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you are there too. Like Jonah was doing the impossible. You cannot flee from God's presence. That's good news. That means for you and I, we get to know that God is one who is always present. That means I get to live with two Cs. It means that for me, and maybe this works for you as well, it brings me immense comfort. That however dark life gets, however alone I may feel, God never leaves me. God can always see me. Like for some of us today, maybe we need to hear that. Maybe you need to know that God sees you. Maybe there's comfort to be found there, that you are not alone. But as well as comfort, it also confronts me. It confronts me in the fact that God's presence is with me. That when I look to find what I'm truly looking for in God, in other things, I think, oh, no one notices. Like I get to remember, no, God, you're here with me. Like as I'm doing this thing that I don't think anyone else knows I'm doing, God, you see it. God, you confront me. That's painful, isn't it? So here's the uncomfortable truth. For some of us, we know there's stuff going on in our lives that we would hate for anyone else to know about. And here's the uncomfortable truth. God already sees it. But here's the deal. He's the God of unfailing love. And therefore, as we feel that confronting of, oh, I've been seen. He embraces us and says, return, you who I love. Let's not hide. Let's not keep running away. Let's turn back. Second thing. Third one then, the God who rescues. It gets us to the storm, because some of you are thinking, when are you ever going to talk about the storm? Well, we haven't got time really to talk about the storm, but here, let's quickly get into it. I don't know what strikes you about this moment of the narrative. What strikes me is it seems as though the sailors are very active in the storm. They're the ones like throwing cargo overboard. That's like their livelihood. They're the ones who are then saying, look, just pray to anything and anyone we can think of. Jonah, on the other side, is fast asleep in the depths of the boat. And yet there comes this moment where he's awoken. Awoken from his sleep in order that he is to be confronted with the reality of what he's doing. And there he confesses to the sailors, hey, this is because of me, it's because I 'm running away from this God that I've just told you about, and they're like, "What?" And they say, "What are we going to do?" And he says, "What you need to do is throw me overboard. In throwing me overboard, you'll know peace." Here's the irony at this point. Like rather than go and give a message to rescue a people, potentially rescue a people in a city that he doesn't like, he'd rather die for this bunch of people that he doesn't really know and probably doesn't like because they're not part of his people. There's an irony there. But there's also this light moment. There's a light moment in that actually he can see that maybe through him giving his life, he could save their lives. And you see, what that's going to do is cause us to think, I've heard this story before. Someone giving their life in order that others' lives could be saved. In actual fact, we haven't got time to do it. You could go through motives of different prophets, like seeking, say, take my life, God, and save this people. But ultimately, I want to get us to one who came to say, no, I'm going to give my life to save that people name's Jesus. But before we get there, I want us just to point out just something quickly, something that comes out in this excellent commentary on Jonah by Philip Carey. I'm not giving it away today. We'll have a copy that you can borrow. But in it, he talks about the moment where lots are cast. It's a weird moment, isn't it? Like lots are cast of what's going on here. Now, in that day and age, lots were used as a way of discerning what was happening. However, he points out that in this moment of discerning what's happening... Is actually, it's linking to something in Leviticus 16 where it's about the Day of Atonement which is God's moment of saying, I want to try and wipe away all the wrongdoings of my people. And part of that moment was a goat that was given, a, a goat that lots were drawn to and one of the lots was drawn was for a particular goat that was called the scapegoat. And what that goat was seen as was the one that all of the wrongdoings of the people would be placed on and that goat would then be sent out into the wilderness. And Carrick kind of points out and says, it's as though Jonah becomes the sailor's scapegoat. That in him being thrown overboard, it causes them to know peace. And in that, it's in order that there could be this foreshadowing of wonder of a greater storm that we get to see a greater storm that every single one of us is part of a greater storm that is about how we live with ourselves at the center rather than god that causes us to ultimately know unrest within ourselves unrest because of things we do or the things that have been done to us that however much we seek to do we cannot finally find that sense of rest but also causes us to live in the eye of that storm with death always on our horizon, unable to escape it. What we find is that God sends an ultimate scapegoat, an ultimate scapegoat who is Jesus, who comes and lives and dies, dies in order that he can take on all our unrest. We haven't got time to look at it. Look at the descriptions of the crucifixion and see one who is deeply in unrest, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually who then through Jesus' resurrection does what? Well, does what was already spoken of in John 14 this morning, of came in order that we could know peace. That word peace is wholeness. Comes in order that, yes, he deals with our unrest, in order that we can know peace and wholeness, but also died in order that we could know life and life eternal. See, when we look at this story, it reminds us of the God who rescues the God who rescues these sailors. But more than that, the God who's rescued the whole of humanity by what? By being the one who was cast overboard in order that all unrest could be dealt with. And death in order that all could know rest and peace. And we haven't got time to look at like how that then, then kind of caused us to live individually. That we can then live with the wonder of that statement of the ultimate storm being dealt with and if you've not found faith and trust in Jesus yet you can do that you can find that ultimate storm being dealt with but as that ultimate storm is dealt with then we can live knowing in this life whatever storms get thrown at us we can know that Jesus is with us therefore there is rest and life to be found but for this moment I want to just leave us in this stormy story with two things Firstly, will we receive a fresh, or maybe for the first time, the wonder of who this God is? A God of unfailing love towards you and towards me. A God who's present, a God who rescues. And as we receive him, can we be those then who respond? Who respond like those sailors who say, actually, I want my life to be all about you. I want to be one who seeks then to worship you with the whole of myself. And I also want to be one who then shares the wonder of who you are with others.